Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People This Week. And we are go. May triggers Article 50. The Article 50 process is now underway. And in accordance with the wishes of the British people, the United Kingdom is leaving the European Union. But not everyone is happy. It's the day in which Britain lost more power and influence than in any other day of my peacetime life. And Nigel Farage aims for the moral high ground. Show the world that we're reasonable people and we, and we believe and obey the rule of law. All of this and more on Commons People. So long, farewell, Avidas, and good night. Yes, Article 50 has been triggered. We are off. Right, Ned? <laughs> yes, yeah. Fine. Welcome to Comedy yeah, Fever, everyone. I never I knew you were a Mary Poppins fan. That Sound of no, Music, Paul. Sound of Music. Oh, oh dear. They're all the You're same, aren't they? All the same. Unbelievable. Anyway, no, Julie Andrews movies. Enough about the Nazis. We're not Ken Livingston. <laughs> I'm Owen Bennett. It's just Commons People, and I'm joined by Ned Simons and Ned. Hiya. And Mr. Paul Ward. Hello. It's happened, we're off. Unless you've been living under a rock, you can't have failed to notice that Article 50 has been triggered by Theresa May. The letter was received by European Council President Donald Tusk on Wednesday at 12.29pm and May then delivered a statement in the Commons. Now, I could play you the historic sound bites from her speech and that kind of stuff, but my favourite clip was this accidental shout-out to Tim Farron's gang. Perhaps now more than ever... The world needs the liberal democratic values of Europe. Values. Why not just say democratic liberal? (laughs) No one thinks to put that in. I love love the clip of Farron winking. Winks, sir. That was extraordinary. While many celebrated, others were not so happy or optimistic. Here's Lord Heseltine on Newsnight on Wednesday. Oh, it's the day in which Britain lost more power and influence than in any other day of my peacetime life. We have got influence still, haven't we? Well, we'll see. You don't believe that we wield any cards in this deal at all? Uh, No, I don't think so. He sounds cheerful, isn't he? Uh, So let's not talk too much about what happened yesterday because everyone knows everything about this now, except there was a big revelation today in Morning Lobby, which you might not be aware of, Paul. There was actually two letters sent to Brussels. Like Boris. The ones that actually changed our minds. I think Tusk had to pick which one. (laughs) I think the other one went to, I think, the European Council, who then sent it back, date stamped, and now it's somewhere in Downing Street. Right, not back oh, really? corrected, like, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> so anyway, let's so let's let's talk first of all about the reaction to this letter because one of the things that was a bit surprising, I think, was the linking, really clear linking of security and trade in the upcoming negotiations. And the Sun had the splash today: your money or your lives. Which I think was a kind of a good splash, actually. I think you could. Yeah, it was a fair that. summary of what you know <laughs> you could have said. Was fair summary, but the the 
Prime Minister's official spokesman statement. So, although there is no linking here, there's, there was quite a lot of linking. I, right? I liked Amber Rudd saying it's the it's was it the same paragraph? But it's not, not the, the same, same sentence. sentence. <laughs> well, that's the, the really ridiculous thing about it. I don't quite understand why Number Ten are now taking fright at newspaper front pages like that when they spent ages on this letter. They knew exactly what they were doing. They spent a long time working out which word went where and which paragraph went where, and they knew what they were doing. It was. It, I can't believe they thought that was a pure accident. It wasn't. It was clearly uh, not a threat, but it was kind of an explanation of just how deep our security ties are and how much it would be a shame to lose them, that kind of thing. The curious thing was that reference to the Cold War. I thought that was very odd, given that how could you sort of imply that somehow uh, NATO was at risk when we're supposed to be, you know, really big backers of NATO, particularly given that Trump has not been that keen on uh, on following our lead against Putin. And, you know, if you're in the Eastern European states in the, in the EU, you know, you'll find it a bit odd, if not crass, that you're raising this idea that the Cold War somehow could be back. But isn't this basically Theresa May still being a Remainer? Because in the run-up to the referendum, the Remainers were saying, our security ties are going to be a threat if we leave the EU. And now she's in power. She's going, look, I'm, I'm putting them at threat, so it's true. <laughs> so really, all this felt, well, she's a Brexiteer. Actually, she's just, she's just sticking to the Remainers script, right? Completely is. But the, the curious thing is that, you know, she knows the detail of this. She knows what those powers are within the EU and what, what are outside the EU. Normally, we have bilateral relationships. Of course, our spooks and our police forces are always going to exchange information with other European counterparts. You know, if there was another Westminster-style attack, of course, you know, we would try and see if they had any, and it was a guy who came from Europe, we tried to make sure most of those links. So I don't think any of that's going to change after Brexit. That's why I find this all a bit strange as a sort of manufactured row. It's it's kind of odd. It does remind me of the original row where when she made the Lancaster House speech where she, you know, again, it was very similar, conciliatory tone overall, but then there's this one jarring note which was, you know, well, no deal's better than a, a bad deal. And you're thinking, well, hold on, you've just spent 45 minutes saying how wonderful Europe is, and then you sort of ruin it all by chucking this sort of hand grenade in there saying, well, you know, we could be a, a Singapore-style sort of offshore economy. And that was all a bit strange. And again, we had a repeat of that. And it makes you wonder, is this purely for backbench sort of consumption? Is it purely sort of red meat to some Eurosceptics to reassure them that actually while they're looking, you know, at the same time, we're getting all these compromises on trade and we're lining up possible compromises they won't be happy with. Is that what it's about or is it just a sort of incompetence? I don't know, I'm quite sure. Yeah, I think it's probably the second one, um, if I'm honest, because I think they're not as quite well thought out as they think they are. I mean, for example, what 10 days ago, David Davis said that his department had not done an economic assessment of the impact of leaving on no deal. He was very clear about that. And then 10 days later, he says on um, the question time special on Monday, oh, we, we, yeah, we've done it. We've done it in 10 days, have you, David? <laughs> or you forgot about it last time? I suppose also the, the way that the EU citizens became, that row became a massive, massive issue was similarly, I thought, sort of was, you know, don't use this as a threat. They kind of then had to not walk it back, but keep insisting, keep insisting, no, we're not going to kick them out. We want them to stay. We want to do a deal quickly. This security thing seems like they've put the EU citizens thing slightly to bed a bit. And then they've just created that problem. But this is what they didn't talk about yesterday and what Theresa May didn't stress in the letter that really I think is fascinating. 
the the reference to freedom of movement was almost sort of incidental. You know, it's big thing that loads of people who voted leave voted on migration grounds. We all know that they voted not just to get rid of EU migrants, but they wanted to stop other mm-hmm. other non-EU migrants. And that was basically not in the script. Yes, it wasn't. Ba- it was barely mentioned in the statement. She only had to be pushed on questions to answer it. And similarly, you know, this whole idea about uh, European Court of Justice, which we can talk about later. You know, she thinks is a really big thing. I'm not sure is that big a thing for for most people who voted leave. So there's but a, it's still the foreign judges thing yeah there's it? a foreign judges foreign thing judges people, judges people thing. don't like that that's yeah. for sure but I was stra- I was struck by that plus the, the idea of how much we're going to pay whether or not we are going to pay into uh, the EU most people voted leave think we're going to get some money coming out surely that's the whole point isn't it and so on two big issues, money and migration, it's quite odd what happened yesterday. And it's almost as if she wants to play them really right down and work away in a sort of pragmatic way with Europe to work out, can we get some sort of freedom of movement tweak with them, which means we don't pull up the drawbridge and we don't lose all this sort of economic um, growth. So we could leave So we could leave, leave the EU, I'm making air quotes here, listener, and uh, we could still be paying money in, we could still have high migration if you term high migration to be over 100,000 which is the government's thing we could still have jurisdiction of the ECJ if we were in some sort of customs union and we're trying to get a deal which is as good as what we've got now why are we leaving because <laughs> nothing's going to change in terms of the money it seems unlikely but Damien Green on Newsnight last night didn't rule out we could end up paying more I mean, in the sense that he said, you know, we could pay less, we could pay more. It depends on what's right in the national interest. So it, it, it's not even a bit less than money. Well, it brings you back to this point. You know, it, is is this uh, is Theresa May really going for some sort of continuity remain? That's what will really worry the, the Eurosceptic backbenchers, you know. And there's a hard core of them still who could really screw this. People go on about the, the small number of Remainer Tories, but actually it's the Eurosceptics who have really died in the war. And there's quite a lot more of them. There's about 80, 90, 100 um, who could really put a spanner in the works if she does go down the route of saying look we'll have a transitional deal that actually might even become a permanent deal they won't wear that they won't like the idea of paying more money and they won't certainly won't like the idea of a european court having jurisdiction and on migration they'll want some sort of guarantees that things are going to change so i think that's what she's got to be most worried about it would be quite ironic if um, at the end of it when this vote in parliament it's the hardcore your skeptics who vote against the deal and it's labor and, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 the, and the tory remainers who vote for it that's precisely what david davis was suggesting on the radio this morning you that, said you the know, word hardcore you're a skeptic i think i've got the old Hardcore Eurosceptic, Mr. Nigel Farage. Oh, here is he? He's coming in now. I know. I know the listener is a big fan of Nigel Farage. I caught up with him in a pub yesterday, of course, because if you stay in any pub long enough, Nigel Farage will eventually show up. And he gave me his take uh, on the deal, and he talks about how he thinks the UK should take the moral high ground. Today is the today's the day to sort of celebrate a bit that we've act, that we have actually passed the point of no return. We are leaving. However, the terms upon which we leave are really interesting, and I. I, 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 I do see a bit of sort of weak needness. I mean, I, I saw the Chancellor this morning saying we can't have our cake and eat it. Well, I mean, please don't give away your best negotiating position before you even start. Um, I see Amber Rudd talking about European arrest warrant, signing up to the European investigation order, still making a subject to the ECJ. Uh, Fisher is, they've, they've almost given away already, uh, which I find completely unbelievable. Uh, so, oh, and David Davis. I mean, the modern-day Norman Tebbit of Brexit. And, you know, he goes to Lithuania and says, oh, maybe free movement could continue until the 2020s. So, so I'm, I'm not actually sure that the British government really understand just how strong their negotiating hand is, and they may be prepared to give away way, way, way too much. So, look, the big stuff's happened. Winning the war is very important. You know, we won the war in 1918. 
um, but we kind of lost it with the piece at Versailles, and, uh, and this could be the same. Uh, in, in the letter she sent to Tusk, she sort of linked trade and security quite closely, indicated we didn't get a trade agreement, and some of those security measures that so you talk about there, European and Western, we might sign up to. Now, I guess you would... I mean, what's your take on that? Look, clearly, with any negotiation, that there are bargaining chips that get pushed back and forth across the table. Um, I... If I was her, I'm not, but if I was her, you know, my big first play would be to say, look, the 3.3 million EU citizens living in the UK all came here legally. I personally think there were too many of them, but never mind, they all came here legally. And I would unilaterally say their rights are guaranteed. Claim the high moral ground going into all of this. Show the world that we're reasonable people and we, and we believe and obey the rule of law. That's what I... If I was in charge of this or even involved in this, I mean, they wouldn't even speak to me, but if I was involved in any of this, I would suggest that as the opening gambit. You heard the, 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 the clip from Nigel Farage making a wonderful reference to, to the First World War. That's always, that's always a good way to get involved with negotiations, isn't I, it? I quite enjoyed it. I would think it was yesterday in the Commons, Boris um, had a go at a uh, backbencher for comparing Donald Trump to the Nazis, and he said we shouldn't t- compare anything to the 1930s or fascism because it trivialises it. Obviously, Boris himself never never, never makes that. that comparison. Yeah, he's just ever. like Ken Livingstone. But off the, off the back of that, let's do the Brexit briefing. Before I play the jingle, I met yesterday, would you believe, another listener to the show. Oh, that's Hang on. nice. I know. He came up to me and he said, and I quote, I really like the jingle. And I said, thank you. I said, what do you think of the theme tune? And he said, oh, see you later. <laughs> ah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so let's have the jingle. Uh, Farron or Farage? Farage, I, think I imagine. I think it's <laughs> very much Farage, Farage this week. Of all week. You sort of looked at me like it was a trick question. No, like you had no. some. He's got what he wanted. Um, so let's talk now about the Great Repeal Bill, which uh, His Excellency David Davis has been on the feet in the Commons. He might even still be as we're recording this, actually. Um, it, it was a, it's basically, it's, it's the way of getting all the EU all the EU legislation that we have now just onto the statute books in this country so that in two years' time we leave nothing particularly changes, right? Yeah. But there is some argument about how you do that, and, I mean, Paul, you, you know about this. Stuff well, the, what's what's got to happen is it the basic... The reason it's called the Great Repeal Bill uh, is because it repeals the original act that got us into the European Union, okay? So, the 1972 or 3 Act. Um, and... That has to happen for us to leave, okay? That's a basic thing. But at the same time, because there's sort of 20,000 or more individual regulations, not necessarily laws, but regulations from Europe that we we currently abide by, they've got to be basically given a British stamp of approval once that, that original act is repealed. And so that's what this is all about. And it's going to be an enormous task. And the real difficulty, and the, Tom Brake at the Lib Dem uh, spokesman mentioned this, is these things called Henry VIII clauses. Now, this isn't sort of, you know, a license to behead and sort of uh, divorce people, although those are key references for when it comes to Brexit. Um, But it's more about giving the government, the executive power, a really, really sweeping power to use secondary legislation, things that are called statutory instruments, to in turn... Uh, repeal bits of primary legislation. So this is why people in the opposition are upset because they think basically what's going to happen the whole debate about take back control was to give British Parliament more control but it looks like it's not Parliament it's government that's getting control. It can on a whim decide well that particular regulation I think that should automatically um, go through Parliament and the thing about these 
Henry VIII clauses is there's very, very little parliamentary scrutiny. A lot, and like, like a lot of statutory instruments, they don't have to be voted on in the Commons or the Lords. Often they they can't be amended. There a lot are th- of them. no, and there are thing called a sort of negative resolution. So you know you you don't vote for them. You only vote against them. Um, and I think that's that's going to be a real problem in the next few months, particularly on this bill. There's also things in this Great Repeal Bill uh, talking about the European Court of Justice and saying that any decisions taken by the European Court of Justice should be treated in UK courts as case law still. So the idea that when we leave, we get rid of all the decisions that the European Court of Justice made over the past how many years isn't true. We're still going to, judges can still use that in the, in, in the courts. So a lot of Brexiteers, Brexiteers are going to be sort of fuming about this, are going to be, well, sorry, who were fuming about mm. this are still going to be angry, right? Because it's still foreign judges. The decision made by a, a exactly. evil foreign judge exactly. stands, yeah. And actually, same with the, all the laws. It was interesting in the Commons debate today when David Davis was speaking, when you had, um, I forget, actually forget which one it was, but a Tory backbencher who said, you know, now we can repeal all these ghastly EU laws. Christopher Chope. Christopher Chope. Yeah. And Anna Subri, who's a kind of, you know, Tory Remainer, uh, pointed out, you know, here we go. This is the, the the sign of them wanting to get rid of some of the stuff we want to actually. Well, keep. it's things like employment protection, exactly. consumer protection, environment protection. This twenty thousand EU laws, so called, actually have a direct impact on a lot of people's daily lives. And actually, even if you're a Leave voter, you might not want consumer mm. protection to go down the swanee. You know, you might not want all these these rights to disappear. And so that's why they'll be transposed automatically. But the the worry is from what Christopher Choke was saying is that he. The implication was, oh, now we can just have a bonfire yeah. of all these things, not just keep bonfire them. Bonfire red tape. And, <laughs> and, favorite, and, my favourite bonfire. And, and you can imagine, yeah, a lot of you are sceptics really liking that idea, but there's a lot of uncertainty, particularly given the PM talked about building on workers' rights yesterday. How can you build on workers' rights if, for example, you re- reduce mm. workers' rights through some of this? And another thing I think from that uh, session which was interesting was David Davis conceding there might be a vote in Parliament on staying in the European economic area. Mm. I think that could be... Kind of the a sign of a, a forthcoming fight. This is something which Nick, which Nick Clegg has called for. Nick Clegg has said, and, and the people. Mm. Nick Clegg does. He's, I know Lib Dems have only got like one MP or something, yeah. or nine MPs. But this, he does represent a strand of, of a big body in the parliament, on the Labour benches, who think that the EEA is the kind of deal that you could probably get away with. There, you've left the EU. It's in the European economic area. So if that option is, is on the table, I mean, that's what they're going to push towards, right? And it was interesting seeing Nick Clegg and Keir Starmer, Labour's shadow Brexit territory, having a nice little chinwag on the Labour front bench during during that debate. Should we talk very briefly about Labour? Um, their response... I mean, Theresa May read out the six tests that, Keir, that Labour put forward when mm. they took a Brexit deal. She kind of agreed with them all. She kind of said, yeah, we, we agree with this. So is Labour not doing the job of opposition. I mean, Alistair Campbell this week, for example, said that even if you agree with a lot of it, just oppose it. Just just keep putting the pressure on the government. Keep your foot on their throat so they know that you're there. Some people might say that's opportunism. Some people say that's good opposition. Well, that's what Labour did, don't forget, over Maastricht. You know, they sided with the Maastricht rebels, famously. John Smith made a very big call uh, to try and amend the Maastricht bill. And it worked in terms of putting the pressure on the government. Boy, did it work. It was opportunistic because Labour obviously didn't agree with the Eurosceptic rebels. But it, that was what opposition was about. I think this is different because this is about a much bigger national interest as well as Labour's own party interest and its leave seats, don't forget. We can't forget that at all. If they're in any way seen to be undermining Brexit, you know, that those majorities are going to get chunks eaten out of them. So I think... Actually, what May said was really, really significant because it shows you could say in a high-minded way, 
opposition really is about the national interest, or it should be, not just your party interest. And if you're persuading Theresa May to tick off your six things that you really want out of Brexit and she's agreeing to them, what's wrong with that? Um, and one of those tests, though, you've got to say, is impossibly high, and it's the one that David Davis himself exactly. set, yeah. which was we'll have exactly the same benefits outside the European single market as we would I inside. Think it's an aim now. He downgraded He's now yeah. downgraded it, which is <laughs> quite sensible. A dream, In a way, I quite admire him because it, it just shows that he was, you know, he was candid. That's what he wanted. That's what he really wanted. And you could say it's in a way a Euroskeps dream, which just shows that the dream and the reality are very, very different. You can't have, you know, exactly the same membership outside being a member. So, and it brings me on the wider point, which is actually, I don't know what you guys think, but I think in many ways, soft Brexit is a delusion. And the people who seem to agree with that are the hardline Eurosceptics and the European Commission and a lot of the EU27. And there's a lot of people in between, whether in the Labour benches or the Tory benches or the Lib Dems, who think that soft Brexit can be a reality, that you can replicate in all but name European Union membership. You can't. No, you can't. Uh, but you but can try. I think the, the space for Labour, though, for me, is knowing they... Know, you know, I accept all of that, and I think that's completely right. Of course you do. You get fired otherwise. Absolutely, right? But I think that what Labour could have done is they could have been a bit more put more pressure on the government by saying right you say that the eu sells us more than we sell them right you say the eu need us you say that we're this great country so why aren't you getting in there and really trying to get this great deal why are you just throwing away single market access like that single market membership like that why aren't you getting in there you know why are you talking britain down why aren't you even trying now they know that Theresa may is never going to get those things most people don't even want those things but i think by doing that it might have just put Theresa may in the government a little bit of okay we've really got a deliver now and actually it matches their rhetoric with the kind of hardline leavers a little bit who keep talking Britain up well that's why but the, the only reason she would be worried about that is if Labour were then threatening to vote it down any deal that didn't include the single market and the well, jury's out really I mean they've edged a bit closer well, to that position Jeremy with Keir Corbyn Starmer said, he, Jeremy Corbyn said last night in his interview with Andrew Neil that they would vote against it if the six tests weren't meant, met which yeah which was significant four, yeah but I think it's unlikely that like you said most of them I think will be and I think even if yeah, I just think that that's going to happen, so I don't think there's much pressure. But and if we look at what John McDonnell said in these speeches, you know, mo- they just kept saying we're going to put moral pressure on the government. There's no real, there's no teeth to their to yeah. any any idea they're opposing or going to change anything. Really, that's I think the, the big hope got. is that maybe the economy will change between now and uh, the final vote in Parliament and all this. And if the economy is going down the pan, and if public opinion is beginning to drift away, and people think, oh, hold, hold on, we really do need these jobs, and they see jobs going in advance of Brexit because of Brexit, then people might think, oh, well, Labour might think, okay, there's an an opportunity here. I think it's also the case that the leadership isn't perhaps that, that interested in really putting the pressure on. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn doesn't seem particularly bothered about being as passionate in kind of the arguments as a lot of other Labour MPs would be. I mean, on, again, in that interview, he went straight in to talk about the opportunities of Brexit, about, you know, investment in, in things that you couldn't do under EU law. So I just don't think the past... Kel- Kelvin exactly. Hopkins, isn't he? Kelvin exactly. Hopkins saying yesterday, yeah. this is a, a great socialist, socialist yeah. Yeah. Brexit. Well, he believes yeah. it. Now, you, Mr Paul Waugh, in your memo today, said David Davids is the Martin McGuinness of the uh, Brexit, Brexit movement. movement. Who's I, stand, I the stand by that. <laughs> so does that make Liam Fox the Jerry Adams? <laughs> <laughs> now, where, has, anyone, has anyone checked Liam Fox is all right? Because I've not seen him around for a couple of days. Well, right? he was on the front bench during the statement. Um, and he wasn't obviously side by side with Hammond and DD. And he was further down the, the front bench. But he was there. And maybe he's just keeping quiet because he's expecting that actually, as a result, now that this has all been triggered, he'll have a bit more 
clout overseas. People will see that we mean business. It started. Well, you say clout overseas. Leads us to this week's quiz. Oh, beautiful segue. Which is called, uh, like whatever this is Show Me be. the Wonder. Okay. And this is about trade deals the EU has already got. Cool. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they have, I'm going to name a country. If they have a free trade deal with this country, signed, sealed, delivered. Okay. Okay. So, who ha- so if they, that country has traded with us already. No, with the EU. With the EU. Yeah, right. so therefore us, but the EU. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Okay. okay. If they haven't, we can work it out. Okay. They're both Stevie Wonder songs, people. Yeah, I think I did Some know that. Some people don't know this, Paul. I'm trying to the kids. They don't know who Stevie Wonder <laughs> is, right? Okay. We can work it out as Beatles as well. Yeah, but you can't, I know, Paul, yeah. I know that. But All you can't right, it. All right. Blimey. Kazakhstan has the EU got uh, a free trade deal with Kazakhstan. Oh, what's the one that's no? Hmm. Uh, we can work it we out. We can work it out, I think. Uh, no. Surely that's we can work it out. That is we can work it out. Okay. Former Soviet it's state. Away, is it? It's hard to do. Vatican City. Ooh. We don't need one, do we? So I'm going to say we can work it yeah, out. Yeah, we can work it out. They want a free trade deal with God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a fair point. I don't think they have any trade On at all. On a fair do trade they? deal with God. <laughs> Okay, yeah, we can work it out. Uh, <laughs> Make Georgia. It hard. Georgia. Yeah, Georgia on my mind. Um, I, I, the I, of Georgia. I that's, think that's all a bit kind of Russia-ish. I don't think that's happening because no. we got into yeah. massive trouble with Ukraine be, for even talking about one. So I think that's... Yeah. We, um, we can work it out. I agree. Incorrect. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. What? Really? It was signed in 2014. Georgia? Wow. And it was delivered in 2016. That's, wow. Yeah. Owen Bennett has come up with a proper fact. Uh, the Palestinian Authority. Ooh. Yeah. Ken, if you're listening. I'm, go- I'm, uh, I'm going <laughs> to say yeah, because it seems like that's a thing. It seems weird to pick it if it's not yes. <laughs> we give them loads of aid, but I don't think we've got a free trade deal. I'm going to say we can work it out. Incorrect. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Ah. Signed wow. in 1997. Delivered in 1997. Okay. Uh, Djibouti. Djibouti? <laughs> Djibouti. <laughs> Jakarta? Djibouti. Genoa? What are you talking <laughs> Jamaica? I think Paul's Do you want to earn a chord? Did you booty? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> no. No. <laughs> we can work it out. We can work it out. Yeah, you're right. I haven't got one again. Uh, Is it no? Is it no? It's no. We can work no, no. it out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bailiwick of Guernsey. Bailiwick. Great word. Um, yes. Surely. Surely that yeah. does um, have a free trade. Well, yeah, I've forgotten the yes one again. Signed, sealed, delivered. Signed, sealed, delivered. delivered. Yeah, signed 1972, delivered 1973. Mm. And finally, Mexico. Mexico. Um, I'm going to say no because... You look like of, you really know the answer yeah, when you well, said because it. Because it's part of NAFTA, isn't it? So it must be, there must be a whole weird thing mm. there. I don't know that. I probably made that up completely. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm with Ned. I think. No. I think... Incorrect. It was. Oh. It was signed in 1997. It was delivered in the year 2000. Wow. All right? How do you like that? That's, That's amazing. of this week's quiz. Yeah, it's good, that. I thought I should have a jingle there. <laughs> uh, okay, right. But before we move on, uh, Anna Subri, in an interview with the New Statesman, basically was like, well up for a new party. I don't think those are actual words. I'm slightly <laughs> paraphrasing. <laughs> But what do we think? Is That'd be more Heidi Allen, wouldn't it? I'm yeah, well, yeah, well up, up for, for it. Which, and she would probably join it, to be fair. Indeed. Oh, no, she was a leader. It doesn't matter. No, the point is, is there going to be a new party? No. Paul? I don't think so. I doubt it. But it's interesting that they're talking in those terms, isn't it? It depends again. It all, all depends. On the... All depends on how Brexit goes, doesn't it? If, de- if Brexit goes badly, badly wrong, and none of the mainstream parties is prepared, other than the Lib Dems, to sort of carve out some territory politically to go back into Europe 
Maybe, who knows? You never know. Um, the thing I find interesting about Anna Subri is, uh, and she did it on uh, Peston on the weekend, is she always goes, I don't believe in tribal politics, I don't believe in tribalism. Not like the Labour Party. <laughs> like, well, that's, you're literally being tribal then, aren't you? She just always has <laughs> this way of just, I don't believe in tribalism, but let me tell you about the Labour Party, they are rubbish. <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, let's see. I mean, the very fact that she's talking about it, who knows? I mean, George Osborne famously was supposed to be in seats spotted with... Um, Tony Blair on a plane uh, and having a nice chinwag privately. Yeah. So there's, you know, who knows what's going on behind the scenes uh, in terms well, of trying to get a party. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not been on George Osborne's private jet. I don't believe that for a second. Uh, you are listening to Commons People. Okay, right. Now, I am, I think you'd all agree, a pretty reasonable, chilled out fellow. Yeah, I mean, normally. Okay. Thank you. That's but this week, I have got bloody wound up, bloody lively, as David Cameron might say, about our Mr. Douglas Carswell. Oh. Now, he's quit UKIP. <laughs> Fine, whatever. I don't care. Well done, you quit UKIP. But he refuses to call a by-election, despite yeah. before being all oh, the people must do any decision to do. Anyway, here's Sky's K. Burley calling him a big coward. Final thought. You're running scared, really, though, aren't you? You think that you might not win a by-election, which is why you won't call one, because if you were cast iron, you would call one. Do, do, do I strike you as someone who's uh, particularly uh, scared of uh, by-elections? I, I, I've triggered a by-election yes, and, and, and won it. Yes, I, you I, do. I, I triggered, I yes, triggered you do, a by-election. Well, I, I triggered and, and won a by-election and in, enjoyed the largest swing to any party in any election in British history. I, I, I love referendums, I love by-elections, I love general elections. OK, right. <laughs> I'm not just going to rant, but two things annoy me about this with Douglas Carswell. Number one... When he quit in 2014 to get infiltrate UKIP, fair enough, that's politics, whatever. But you're on this big thing about how, you know, the electorate's my boss and I must call a by-election. And now he's going, oh, no, but I'm not changing party. Sorry, people in Clacton voted for a UKIP MP. They haven't got one, right? Because of you and right. your decision, right? Yeah, yeah right. Me. Number two, uh, Mr. Recall. Oh, if Parliament, if my constituents want, you know, to p- call an MP back for by-election, they should do it. He said that even if 20% of his constituents call for a by-election, he wouldn't give them one. And why not? Oh, because that's not what recall's for. See, now he's just changed the definition yeah. of recall now. And also, what in that interview with on Sky News, which kind of annoyed me as well, was he was saying his justification is that you only should have a by-election if you switch parties. If you're just independent, that could be if you resign the whip or you've taken it away from you. He says that empowers the party leaders, not the voters, because they can then sort of kick you out the party and then force a by-election to get rid of you. But I like the idea that whatever Douglas Carswell does, that's then the precedent and yeah, that's then the rule. A, yeah. like, so if he does that, it's like, well, now everyone has to do it. No, he could do it. He said it was the honourable thing to do when he, when he had a by-election, which, to be fair to him, I agree. It was, I think, a very good decision to make. <coughs> but the fact he's now kind of saying, oh, I shouldn't do it this time, I think it's a little bit cheeky. And Douglas, best. I know you blocked me on Twitter now. Me too. Right? <laughs> so okay. so I'm gonna, if, I know you listen to the show. I think you'd win the by-election. That's the thing. I think you'd win it. I think really? Would, I think you would win it. From no, surely the guy on Sky, one of the, there was a guy on Sky who was really furious, a Clapton resident who was absolutely livid. Maybe he was quite typical of people who said, actually, the only reason I really voted for, for Douglas Carswell was because of UKIP. I liked him, but now he's, he's like all the rest. And that is he's really toxic. Now. Yeah, he's all That's the really now. toxic. Really, really bloody annoyed me. Anyway. That's, sorry, listener. I <laughs> that know was, we should have a jingle for Owen getting it off his chest, shouldn't we? <laughs> we'll we'll play it at like eight ri- every morning. <laughs> <laughs> should angry should be a ripping shirt or something. So, uh, all right. <laughs> Easy. Um, so I'm uh, sorry about that, everyone. That's uh, off my chest. Ned, uh, let's do, in case you missed it, Lots. I missed lots this week, Ned. Tell yeah, me. Everything that happened, basically. Fill me missed in. It, isn't it? On. So one thing that caught my eye was um, Sam Gima, who's Justice Minister, put out a written statement, which is how you bury things. 
um, kind of having to say, so G4S, which runs a lot of secu- um, jails and prison services, they some of their electronic tags that people who are out of jail wear, quite a lot of them just weren't working properly. <laughs> and had to admit that some people, so some former prisoners, might have been sent back to prison or had other things happen to them because the tags wrongly reported they'd taken them off or they'd left where they were <laughs> supposed to be. And it wasn't like, oh, this has happened to this many number of people. It said it could have happened. That's incredible. Um, and I just think that's... And G4S, which has had a lot of issues of uh, of kind of messing stuff up, but because they're such a big company, the government has little choice but to go for them to stuff. It's like them and Serco, and that's the only choices the government has. Yeah, welcome to the free market, eh? So that's a thing that we missed. Well, yeah. normally... Yeah, I did miss that. Normally, of course, in a normal week, we at least that would have got some airtime, but everything got squeezed out this week. It wasn't just that. Mm. There was all sorts of... Dev- like Channel 4's privatisation, the government have done a, a quiet U-turn on that. You know, they had talked about it more than four, 500 days mm. ago, and now they've just quietly... For some reason, on Wednesday afternoon, when the whole world was looking at Brexit, the PM was making this common statement. Karen Bradley, the Culture Secretary, decided to pop up and make a speech saying, uh, well, we're not going to privatise Channel 4, but we might move it from London to Birmingham or somewhere. And another good example of how... Easy it is, perhaps, to bury bad news, but not, not on Huffington Post. Exactly, Bill. <laughs> not, on, not on this show. Can we also say that, I don't know if this, they had to do it these days, but I like how Labour aren't going to bury the decision about Ken Livingstone, because that's tomorrow. <laughs> so I don't know if the NEC yesterday. gets to decide, or they had to do it today and tomorrow, but they could have done it, perhaps, earlier in the week, and it might have buried it a bit. But well, now it's listen, be... If you've probably listened to this, the decision might have been made, but did anyone see Ken walking in? Yep. to the yes. meeting and he decided to hold an impromptu press conference where he said the, the SS basically the Jews collaborated with concentration go- camp guards to, it was just they're going to have to have another hearing for those comments <laughs> like next week oh Ken <laughs> what are you doing he really does see himself as a history teacher doesn't he maybe he should have just done that just yeah. been well, him and, slightly him and old Nigel history Farage teacher could, up, could team up and do war documentaries together because they both got this weird fascination with it oh that's going to happen now isn't it it's yeah alan partridge anyway right thanks guys for that uh next week we'll be talking probably about are we, is it recess next week it is it wasn't today was it no it was today. it's <laughs> recess at yeah. the end of the day it's not today because i came into work today looking really scruffy because i didn't think i had to go to parliament <laughs> and i did so a little insight <laughs> for you there listener um listener you don't want to know anyway so we, we're going to be around next week Paul's shaking his head. No, we're not around next week. So this is your this is your feel before Easter, everyone. And we'll come back just as professional as ever. This is a disaster. See you later, yeah. Bye.